All right, we are in our second um, series, our second week on a sermon series about knowing God. What does it mean to know God? Last week we considered the awe-inspiring reality that God actually wants to be known. I'm still, um, I'm still shaken by that. Why God would care whether or not I know him. And yet that he would want so deeply for me to know him. Want you to know him. Want his people to know him. So last week we saw aspects of what it means to know God. This week we're transitioning a little bit and we're getting into what you could call attributes of God. Any guesses as to what an attribute is? Characteristic? An aspect of someone? So we're, we're, the question is, what is God like? What does he want? What is he about? What is he after? An attribute. What, what does he do? What is he passionate about? What is God like? So we're getting into those attributes now this week. And that reminds us just of some background as, as we're in this series. Uh, I guess convictions or assumptions we have when it comes to knowing God. Number one, see if you agree with this. If we're going to know God, God's going to have to reveal himself. If we're going to know God, God's going to have to reveal himself. Now, just to back up for a second, isn't that true even for human relationships? You ever tried to know somebody and they stayed closed off? You're trying to open someone up. How are you today? Fine. Right? So even in human relationships, you can't really know someone unless they open up to you. Well, how much more with God? I can see you. I can look at you. We can try to talk. I can go to your house. We can call each other. But how are you going to pin God down if you want to know him but he doesn't want to be known? Where are you going to go to find him? How are you going to force him? Uh, especially considering the differences between God and who we are, the only way we're going to know God is if he comes down on our level, really if he comes and grabs our attention, opens our eyes. The only way we're, no, we're going to know God is if he reveals himself to us. And of course we believe he has. He has in his word, he has in his son, he has by his spirit, he's still doing it today. So that's the first assumption. The only way to know God is he's going to reveal himself. Second assumption it's massively important that we know truth about God. Massively important that we know truth about God. Uh, yesterday was my 17th wedding anniversary. Oh. Thank you. That just shows you how long-suffering my wife is. Um, can I get an amen? Yeah, it's true. That's right. Now, those of you who know me, I said this last week, I'll say it again this week, those of you who know me would be disgusted if I was praising my wife and talking about how tall and blonde she is and how she likes to wear red high heels. What's the problem with that? That's not my wife, right? I am into short brown-haired girls who don't know what high heels are. That's what I'm all about. I am all about that. But it, that brings up the point that we have to know about God so that we know we actually know the real God. If I told you that stuff about my wife, you'd be like, you don't know her. That's not her. And yet so often we hear about stuff about God, always like this, always like that. Is that the real God? It's this idea that when it comes to knowing God, we don't get to invent him. We discover him. We don't make him what he is based on our preferences. We submit to who he said he is 
based on his word. That's why I wanted to call the series The God Who Is. The God Who Is. He is there. He's God. Whether or not we like it, whether or not we believe in it, he is himself. And so it's incredibly to know truth about God so that we can know we're knowing the actual God, the real God, the God who is. So God has to reveal himself. We need to know truth about God. But there's a third thing. It's real easy for us, especially as long-term churchgoers. If you went to school since, uh, since, if you went to church since the flood and Sunday school, and you got degrees, and you got several copies of Bible, and you've been, you been to everything, right? You've been to everything. You heard the sermons. How easy is it, folks, to know about God and not know him? You can know about God and not know him. And that's really the heart of our passage today. We're going to get here pretty soon into 1 John 4. I bet if you've been Christian for about 30 seconds, have you heard God is love? Okay? This passage is going to say, if you know the God who is love, love will flow out of you in new ways. It will. And yet, we back that up, how many Christians have said, oh, I know God, God is love, and yet they're not loving? Right? Me too. Me too. How many of you are like, I'm kind of guilty of that? Okay? This, this is that, this is that, um, this is the adventure here. The knowing God is love. Now, is part of it a learning? I have to know about God. I have to learn what it means that God is love. Absolutely. It's essential. It's essential. But there's a next level. Not just knowing about God being love, but knowing the love of God who is love. And that's what's happening in this passage. When you know him, when you know his love, not just conceptually, but experientially, not just conceptually, but relationally, that's when you start to love. And so it's just so huge, isn't it? What's bigger than this? What's bigger than knowing God? God wants to be known and we can know him. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at what it means to know that God is love. Let's dive right in. We're in chapter 4 of 1 John. Here in verse 7, the apostle gives a command I don't think anybody really would disagree with. At first glance, anyway. What does he tell everybody to do in verse 7? Beloved, let us, let us love one another. You know, some things you read in the Bible and you know half the people in your society are going to hate it. Other things you read in the Bible. And I don't think I've ever met anyone where you're like, what do you think? Should people love one another? I mean, take a poll. Who supports people loving one another? And we're all like, I'm in, right? I haven't met too many people who are like, hate is better than love. I'm for hate in all ways. Oh, of course not. The, the question for our day from this passage is not, should we love one another? I think we all were like, yeah. The question is how. The question is how. And it's, and it's how in two parts. Number one, the wisdom to love. The wisdom to love. How actually do you love people? 
What makes love love? How do you do this? Second, maybe the bigger one, the motive to love. That's the big how, isn't it? Sometimes we know we should love. We even know how we should love. And we realize we don't want to love. Anybody in here right now, you got somebody in your life you do not want to love. Okay? Yeah. Liars, right? Yeah. We all got somebody in our life that's difficult to love. Difficult. And we know, we know what it means to love them. And when we think of those practical things, I need to love that person in this way, part of our hearts go, I don't want to. Wow. So how do we love? And the answer, this is why the series on knowing God is so important. The answer from this passage, the way to love people is to know God. That's the way. If you know him and you know his love, you will love more. Love will flow out of you. And John will even say the opposite side. If you don't love, if you refuse to love, if you won't go there in loving one another, guess what it shows? You don't know God. You might know a lot about him. But if you withhold love, you know you're supposed to give continually, it's a, it's a how, how can you say you know God and not love? Because, and what's the main idea here? What's this attribute of God we're looking at? God is love. What a majestic thing. God is love. He's never not been love. He's always constantly love, which makes sense, right? If you know him. What will come out of you? If I know him, what will come out of me? Love. It can't, it can't but be otherwise. Because God is love. So John said, let us love one another. Love is from God. God is love. So we're going to learn the truth about God and his love. Then we're going to know the proof. Taste the reality that God is love. And we want to think about living the result. Those are my three points today. Learn the truth about God. Know the proof about God's love. Three, live the result of God's love. But before we get there, I want to ask the question, what is love? I think it's an important question. What is love? Defining love is difficult to pin down, isn't it? Think about politics. Just for a moment. Think about politics. What's the big idea behind politics? Supposedly, right, we're trying to figure out what's best for everyone. Politics really is about love. Or it should be anyway. We want to do what's best for the people in our country, right? What is most loving for everyone involved? That's the, question, that, that should, that's the question behind every idea, every law. What's, what's best? What's most loving for everyone involved? Both parties, we, we live in a two-party system whether we like it or not. Both parties in our country are saying this is actually what's best. And I'm not asking you to pick a side. I'm just asking you to notice. Do these two parties agree about anything? Almost, almost never, Right? Almost never. So here's the difficulty of love. Both parties would say what we want is most loving for everyone. 
and neither party can agree on what is actually most loving for everyone. That's just my illustration. We have no idea how to love. We don't know. We don't know. We can't nail it down. We know we should. Hey, our way is best for everyone. But that's really different from this. Our way is best for everyone. Both are claiming to know love, and, and they both can't be right, and maybe they're both wrong, depending on what the issue is. Love is difficult to pin down. We don't know how to do it. Or think of the illustration of the addict. Maybe you've been an addict. We love you. You're glad you're, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're, on all, we're all an addict in some way, because that's what sin is, right? Um, Maybe you've known an addict, but think about the illustration of the, the drug addict or the alcohol addict. What does that person love? Love the drug. I love the hit. I love the feel. I love, I love the drink. Does he know what love is? What he loves owns him. It owns him, and yet it makes him unable to love others in his life as pretty much everybody would say that he should. His loves are all messed up, aren't they? Our loves are all messed up. We love the wrong thing in the wrong way. Moreover, say you, say you have somebody like that in your life. What does it mean to love that person? You love somebody who's an alcoholic, and they're like, hey, I need to borrow some money. Or, we, we, can we go to Silky's? You want to buy me a round? What are you going to say? I, I don't know. I don't, come on, man, don't you love me? Don't you want me to be happy? Well, what's in your... That's where we get the idea of tough love, right? Wait, I, that's, but I know you feel like that would be love. And I know if I tell you, hey, you're an addict, I'm not buying you any, anything. You're going to feel like I don't love you. But I'm telling you in my heart, I'm doing this. Why? Because I do love you. Love's hard to pin down. Love's hard to pin down. Here's my definition. See what you think. Love is willing self-giving for the good of another. Love is willing self-giving for the good of another. Willing. I want to. Self-giving. I'm going to be generous with what I am, what I have. I'm going to lay it down for you. Willing self-giving and then here's the kicker, for the good of another, for the good. But for us to love, we have to know what the good is. What is the good? I want to lay myself down for your good, but what's your good? How do we know? So love, I think, has two aspects in, the, in that definition. Love is willing self-giving for the good of another. Love has a relational aspect, right? There's another there's a person there. You, you have concern for them. You're willing to lay down yourself for that person. So there's a relational aspect to love. There's also a moral aspect to love. There's always a moral aspect to love. I'm going to lay myself down for your good, for what's best, for what's good for you. So we can't truly love unless we have some moral wisdom to know what is good for someone. So there's the heart of it. I'm going to lay myself down for you. And then there's the mind of it, I guess, the wisdom of it, for what's best for you. Those two aspects of love. And by the way, I think that's why our culture fails at it so badly. Because it's hard to love. If there's a moral aspect to love and you're denying that there's any such thing as morals, see the problem? 
There's no such thing as absolute good. But I'm going to lay down my life for what's best for you, what's good for you. But there's no such thing as good. Oh, no! <laughs> How do we love? The reason I bring all this up, folks, is because this text is going to say love is from God. Where are we going to find out what love is and where it's from? Who God is. Who God is. We can't really know love in its fullness without a knowledge of God and who he is. He is the authority, the source, the example of what it means to be relationally loving, the heart of love, and also to be wise in how you love, to know what is best. He's the source. God is love. So what did I say love was? Anybody remember? Willing, self-giving for the good of another. Is that true about God? We'll see. Look at verse 7. Verse 8, of course. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. Here's another hard question. What does it mean that God is love? What does that mean? Uh, sometimes I get the perception that a lot of people think it means just a vague acceptance of anyone and anything. A vague acceptance of anyone and anything. Um, just, oh, it's okay. No problem. So never, like, I guess, if God is love, can he tell you you're wrong? In that viewpoint, no. God's just around to make you feel good about yourself. Whatever the situation. But even just backing up to what we thought about love. Can that be possible? Uh, if you love someone, does it mean you never tell them they're wrong? Does it mean you never warn them? And if my kid starts to run across Hyle Avenue and the car's coming down at 50 miles an hour, uh, if I love him, what am I going to do? Listen, it was your choice. It was your choice to run out on the street, and who am I to define your view of reality and what's best for you? I love you. So if you want to run out in the street, I'm love. Now, that wouldn't be love. I'd be yelling something about, <laughs> sure. <laughs> right? Because I love them so much. That's interesting. Here's another question, though, about attributes of God. Conceptually, when we talk about God, aren't we talking about someone who's eternal? We are. And aren't we talking about someone who was, who is, before creation? We have to be talking about someone who, who was, who is, before creation. So this raises kind of a philosophical question when you think about the attributes of God. God's attributes can't be just about his relationship to us, right? Because he was, he is before us. So what does it mean that God is love? What did, what did it mean for God to be love before he created? That's interesting, isn't it? Kind of by definition, what do you need for this whole love thing? Someone else. Someone else. So, if God's love is just his feeling towards us, that it wasn't love before he made us, he was lonely. Do you see? 
If he needs us to be love, well, that's the problem. What was that word? If he needs us to be love, then who's God in this picture? As far as I know, it's we who need God, right? Not he who needs us. Whoever is needed, that's the God in the relationship. Whoever needs, that's the worshiper in the relationship. So what John is talking about here cannot ultimately be God's feeling towards people. Because that would not be eternal. It couldn't be an attribute of God unless it was his forever all the time. Does that make sense? Any attribute of God has to be always an attribute of God. So what does it mean ultimately that God is love? Well, I think you see it in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God, what? What did he do? He sent his only Son. There's the other person. The Son. The Son. We can't talk about God being love unless we talk about God being triune. We can't talk about God being love unless we talk about God being triune. And I know it's hard to conceive of sometimes, right? One God in three persons. It's not a contradiction. We're not saying there's three gods. Uh, we're saying each person shares the essence of God, holy, eternal, love, all, all that stuff. But they are not the same. The Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Spirit. They are three distinct persons. And therefore, in that way, God is love. Never been lonely. Um, never been lost without someone always been fully sufficiently love. I know when we talk about the Trinity, sometimes it's like, oh, geez, this theology stuff. But uh, do you want to know this? Do you want to know God? What if God is triune? And I know we can't, like, understand it to the depths. Did you expect you were going to understand everything about God to the depths? I don't understand a matchbox car to the depths. I don't understand myself to the depths. There's no way I'm going to understand God to the depths. But this is what he's shown us about himself. We're going to see here what God loves first, what God loves ultimately. We're going to see here in the relationship of the Trinity the very source of his love for you. God being triune love is the only hope that he's going to love you at all. This is so rich. It's so essential for your life. It's not just a theological exercise to make us to, to throw around uh, terms. The relationship of God within himself is the gift that he's giving to us. So this is so important. I want you to think about what the Father loves. Look at this verse from Luke 3, 322. This is a picture of Jesus' baptism. It's the beginning of his ministry. The beginning of his ministry. And look who comes as his ministry begins. And the Holy Spirit descended on him, that's Jesus, in bodily form. And a voice came from heaven. It's the voice that every kid wants to hear from their dad. It's what we all want to hear. And what does the Father bring to the Son in this moment? What does he say to him? You are my beloved Son. 
With you, I am well pleased. The beginning of Jesus' ministry begins with his father saying, I love you. And I'm so happy with you. You please me. You are looking at triune life. What does the father love? What has he always loved? What will he never stop loving? What's his first love? It's his son. He's always loved the son. And by the way, um, what was the... So the father gives the voice of his love, but, but what else came with that voice? It was the spirit, the presence of his love. The personal presence of his love. Look how Jesus talks about this in John 5, 22. John 5, 22. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. Why? That all may honor the son. And, and how much should we honor the son? Is he second level God? Nope. That all may honor the son, what? Just as they honor the father. So, so this, is, this is an unbelievable claim. Jesus is sitting there telling everyone, the way you honor the father, guess who else deserves that same amount of honor? Me, Jesus says. And guess who made it so, according to Jesus? The Father did. The Father is holding up to the Son to the world and saying, honor him. Love is willing self-giving for the good of another. What is the Father doing to the Son? Giving. Giving. What, what does he want the world to see? The preeminence of his son. Worship my son. Honor my son. Because I love my son. Man, I love my son. That's what the father's saying. And look at the passion of the father's love for the son. Whoever does not honor the son, what else? They don't honor the father either. It reminds you of God's love. Does he love everyone in a way? Yeah, there's a psalm that says he loves all that he's made. Does he love even his enemies? Yeah, Jesus said he makes the rain to fall. He feeds them with crops. That's love. And yet you see some distinctions with God's love. If you don't honor the son, guess who else you don't honor? The father. So think of somebody you love in your life, somebody you really love. For me, it's easiest, easiest to think of my wife. And if you came up to me and were like, hey, I like you a lot, I want to be your friend. I can't stand your wife. You want to hang out? We got trouble. I love you, whoever you are, you rude person, right? I'm supposed to love you, love your enemies and all that. But we're going to have problems if you want to love me but not love my wife. And who, who could say, who would say, oh, but Matt, you need to love everybody, even people who hate your wife. Well, in a way, okay. Turn the other cheek, be kind to your enemy, but listen. And yet this world says of God, hey God, love us all. Love us all in the same way. And the father's like, let me tell you what I love. What's the father love? I love my son. If you're going to diss my son, deny my son, not look to my son, not trust in my son, and have no concern about my son, man, you don't honor me. You don't know me. Do you see what the father loves? The son. What does the son love? 
I bet you can guess. John 14, 31. What does the son say? I do as the Father has commanded me. So what's Jesus all about? I obey my Father. Every time, every way. Because I want, I want the world to know something. Jesus says, I want the world to know something. And what does he want the world to know? I love my Father. Do you see this? Do you see this? This is the first love right here. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. Look at what Jesus says in John 12, 27. This is unbelievable. The context here is they're talking about the cross. The cross is coming. And Jesus says, John 12, 27, Now is my soul troubled. I can relate to that. Anybody else would be troubled if you knew a cross was coming? Troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me for this hour? Oh, look at what Jesus says. For this purpose I've come to this hour. And then the kicker, verse 28, what does he say? Father, glorify your name. Why is Jesus going to the cross? To glorify his Father. I want everybody to see what my Father's worth. I want everybody to see how bad sin is because my Father is so valuable. The core of his heart in going to the cross is his love and esteem for his Father. I mean, we're just standing back and watching. God is love, and ultimately, what is this talking about? The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And they have from all eternity. They always will. Did you know God is happy? Why is God happy? He's always with the one who loves him perfectly. He's always with the one he's able to love perfectly. God is love. God is love. What, what was the Spirit doing when, when the Father said to Jesus, This is my beloved Son? You remember? The Spirit descended. Take, these, take this couple of verses here from Romans 5. Who is the Holy Spirit then? He's not a force. He's a person. But how are we to understand him? It's interesting what Paul says in Romans 5. Romans 5, 5, Paul says, Hope does not put us to shame because God's what? Love has been poured into our hearts through the Spirit. The Spirit seems to be the person of God's love. When God says to his son, I love you, what, what else does he send? Who else does he send? The person of the Spirit. Or look at Romans 8, 15. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons. Other translations say the spirit of sonship. What does that mean that he's the spirit of sonship? Because what, what do children say? By whom, we, by whom we cry. What do we cry when we have the Holy Spirit? Abba, Father. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means, I love you, Father. Right? What does it mean? It, this is what Christians do, folks. Do you know this? Christians cry out. What do we cry out? I love you, Father. Abba, Father. Daddy, I love you, Father. 
And who enables us to cry out, I love you, Father? Here it's the Spirit. How long, do you think, has the Spirit been the person of the love between the Father and the Son? How long has the Son been saying, I love you, Father? Eternally. That's what the Spirit is. He's the person of their love. And when we receive the Spirit, what comes out of us? I start to love God as my Father. Am I the first one to do this? Jesus has been doing it forever. God loves me as his child. Is this the first time God has done this? He's been doing it forever in his son. Do, do, do you begin to see Christianity is God bringing you in to his triune life? God has always loved his son. And then he says, if you're in my son, I'll call you child and I'll love you like I love my son. The son has always loved his father. And he says, if you trust in me, I'm going to bring you in. And you're going to get, guess what you get to call my father? Father. And the same spirit who's been the person of their love for all eternity comes into your heart. And guess what starts to happen? You know God's love for you, father to child. And you return God's love to him, child to father. Do you see? God is love in himself. He is love. That's different, isn't it? Than kind of the, the popular message on God being love. It's different. You see the holy nature of God's love and the father's ultimate love for his son, the son's ultimate love for the father. And then what that begins to mean for us. Verse 7, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. Okay, the truth about God is that he is love in himself as a triune God. Now what about the proof? Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. And what do we do with this word manifest? I don't use this word very often. It's kind of a churchy word. How do you make something manifest? What does that even mean? To make something manifest is to... Um, um, there is a conceptual part where you see it, you understand it, but that's not it. That's, that's not the end of it. There's an experiential part. There's a tasting. Um, you know, there's different ways to know things, right? Biblical language is funny. Adam knew about Eve, but when Adam knew Eve, Cain was born. You see the difference in knowing? There's knowing and there's knowing. There's a conceptual knowing from a distance. There's experiential knowing, which is, it includes the concepts, but it's, it's far more deep. It's full. The love of God has been known, known, manifested, opened up, experienced, in that God sent his only son into the world so that we might, what? Live. Through him. Love is willing self-giving for the good of another. Do you, do you realize that, do you remember how much the father loves the son? We should be in awe. The father sent who? The son. If I was God, I'm obviously not. I'm probably not going to send you all my son, no offense. I might send one of the angels or something. How many of you are sending your son for me? It's okay. I don't expect you to. I don't expect you to. God sent his beloved son 
so that you might live through his beloved son. Wow. So that we might live through him. Like I said, Christian salvation is being brought into the the life and love of the triune God. Look at what John says in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been, what? Born of God. You've heard of that phrase, right? Born again. What does it mean? It's kind of devastating. It's kind of amazing. It's, It's wonderful. It's awesome. But to know God is like a restart. It's getting born again. It's starting over again. There's a new you. A new life. The Holy Spirit comes, opens your eyes, changes your heart. You trust Jesus. You, you oh, forgive me of my sins. I, I want to know you. You see God as your father, and it's like a new self. I'm, I'm different now. I used to be X, Y, and Z, and A, B, and C. Now I'm child of God. That's who I am. I'm, I'm born again. Isn't this willing self-giving for the good of another? What's, what did God decide was good for you? That you might live through Christ. And so what did he do in order to enable that? Willingly, he gave of himself for you. And look at the way it happened. Verse 10. This is a holy moment right here. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. I can get an amen on that, can't you? (laughs) You see how God loves, the Father loves the Son. You see how the Son loves the Father. And I'm just kind of sitting over here in the corner going, I don't even, like I was telling somebody today, I, I don't deserve to even preach this sermon. I don't, think, I don't think I've, does anybody feel good about how solid you are in loving God the way he deserves it? I mean, it's just, hmm, I love him sometimes. I, I want to love him, but I, hmm. And this is love, John says. All right, it's cool. Earlier he says, hey, listen, everybody, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. So let's just all come clean together, right? John opens the door for us. Any sinners in the room? Yeah, all of us. Okay. And this is love. Not that we have loved God. Let's not look there first, okay? Let's not go there first. It hasn't been there. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. So there's a scholarly debate kind of. Do you guys know what contextualization is? For instance, this letter was not written in English. Does anybody realize that, right? It was written in Greek. But what did we do to help us all out? We contextualized it, right? So that you could understand it in your own language. That's cool, isn't it? Are you glad? I am. How far do you take it, though, like, for instance, with a word like this, propitiation? What? Does anybody use this word in common English? No. But should we we give up on it? A lot of people say, we got to keep this one. It's special. It's unique. So instead of throwing it out, let's, let's learn what it means. Let's keep it. Propitiation means it's a unique, appeasing sacrifice. To take away God's anger. A unique, appeasing sacrifice to take away God's anger. I mean, you you know this, right? Anybody who loves anything also hates its opposite. The opposite of love um, isn't, isn't hate, it's apathy. So if you love, you will also hate. 
Let's go back to the kid thing. You love your kid? Me too. How do you feel about someone who wants to harm your kid? Kind of like hatred. Why? I love my kid. Right? What if somebody was trying to harm my kid and I was like, eh, it doesn't matter. I don't love them. Now, we do this wrong, right? We, we get it off the tracks. We don't handle this with holiness. But look at it this way. What does the father love? We saw it. His son. And how does he feel about those who hate his son? You guys, in all honesty, that's what hell is for. What does the son love? His father. How does the son feel about those who hate his father? In all honesty, that's what hell is for. That's the core of every sin, right? The reason we murder is because we hate God. The reason we lie is we deny God. The reason we do anything that's sinful is because we have a disregard for God. That's the core sin, not loving God. Jesus' first commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, right? And what, what have we not done? That main thing. And so that's why this word is so incredible, propitiation. The Father and the Son have beef with the world. We haven't loved the Father, we haven't loved the Son. And yet the Father sends His Son to be the unique, atoning, pleasing sacrifice. There the beloved Son, whom the Father loves, is now taking on the Father's wrath for everyone who hasn't loved the Son or the Father. Are, are you catching this? The Son was treated by, every, was treated by the Father like everyone who's hated the Father deserves to be treated. The Father poured out his wrath on his beloved Son. His wrath against those who've hated his Son. On his Son. It's propitiation. It's so God could be just and, and pour out the punishment that's deserved, but instead he poured it on the one who didn't deserve it. So that those who do deserve it could be forgiven of it. This is, this is love. This is love, the cross. This is love. The greatest possible gift, the Son of God. To the most undeserving, those who haven't loved God. Through the most incredible sacrifice, the Son on the cross, for the greatest possible result, Guess what we get to be called as we trust Jesus? Children of God. Children of God. There's no love greater than this. Watch every movie, read every book. You'll find whether it's Star Wars, Harry Potter, whatever you want it to be. The hero gives up himself to save. He gives up himself and it's all just little splashes, little echoes of the ultimate true story, the true story of the universe, which is Jesus Christ giving up himself for the totally undeserving to make them children of God. This is how it's manifested. Do you know this love? So I remember asking you, only you can know this. Do you know this love in your head? If you've been listening, hopefully you know it a little bit. It's in your head. Do you know this love? Has it melted you? Have you ever shed tears over the reality that you have not loved God and that his son paid the price 
I wonder if you know. Do you know how much he's loved you? Do you know? Do you know that Jesus gave up his life for you? When you've done the thing he hated most, this is love. I want, you, I want to show you verses um, John four fifteen. How can you let it hit home? Look at John four fifteen. First John four fifteen. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, what's that next phrase? God abides in Him. That same Holy Spirit. And he in God. Do you see what the triune God has done with you when you trust Jesus? Bringing you in. Bringing you in. So we have come to what? Know and to believe the love that God has for us. We are resistant to knowing God's love, I think. I say that because I'm resistant to it. I look at myself and how much I don't deserve it. And almost every morning I think, I, I mess it up again. How can he love me like he says he does? Anybody else ever feel that way? Moreover, there's a vulnerability to letting yourself be loved like this. You know, you know what happens when you fall in love? Anybody ever gone through that horrible process? See, what happens is you were free on your own. What do you do when you're single and... And you're not um, covenanted to anyone. Whatever you want. That's part of the glory, right? That's part of the glory. I'll let you can stay up as long as I want. Where are you going to go this weekend? Wherever I want. You know what happens when you fall in love and you start giving yourself to somebody? Hey, I was thinking of going somewhere this weekend. What do you think? You see what happens? Because when you love somebody, you give up your freedom of a certain kind... I don't just go away for the weekend. Where were you? You didn't tell me. Well, I'm free. Yeah, try that one on, right? Love gives away freedom, doesn't it? When I got married, I gave away a lot of freedom. And I had kids, I gave away even more freedom. Freedom? I gave it away, but, but for a greater freedom. The freedom to love and to be loved. But that freedom comes with restrictions. Because now when you love somebody, you give yourself to please them. I care about what they think. They're important to me. And when you open your heart to the love of God, guess what you're doing? You're giving away a certain kind of restriction. The restriction to be and do whatever you want. And you come into this new freedom that has... Another restriction, which is, God, I want to please you in everything. So you start to have a heart like Jesus. I do as the Father's commanded me so that everyone would know I love the Father. So when you know the Father's love, you're going to start to, I just want to obey him at any cost. Do you see? And so we're hesitant because we feel like we don't deserve it. We're hesitant because we don't want to give up control. And yet as you look at the cross... Both of those get wiped away. You, you aren't good enough for God's love, but God's not looking at you when he thinks about his love. What's he looking at? 
He's looking at the perfection of Jesus Christ. When you trust Jesus, his righteousness is given to you. So whether or not you deserve it isn't even in question anymore. The only thing that matters is that Jesus, has he always deserved the Father's love? And now that love, Father to the Son, the Lord Jesus, is given to you because you're stamped with Christ. You are loved. You deserve it in a sense because you're in Christ and he deserves it. Jesus deserves it. What about your lack of control? Well, it comes down to your view of freedom, doesn't it? When you love somebody, when you're in love, guess what you want to do? I'll stay up for you. I'll wash dishes for you. What do you want? I'll stay home for you. I'll wear what you want me to wear. Okay, doesn't quite go that far. But you want to please the other person. I want your life to change. I want you to be more like Jesus. I want you to obey him. I want you to enjoy heaven forever. I want you to sign with God's glory in the world. And I'm telling you folks, we can't do that unless we know God's love for us. You don't grow by walking out there going, sin is bad, I'm going to quit. I'm going to try to quit. You won't be able to do it. Do you know how you beat sin? You beat sin by knowing God's love for you. You beat sin by being in love with the Father who loves the Son and the Son who loves the Father and has given you the person of their love in the Holy Spirit. That's how you do things you never thought you could have done because you know you are loved through the gospel. The proof of God's love, the manifestation of his love, is him giving up his son. And that's for you today if you trust Jesus. God's love. Let it break you. Come on, what would we do if we felt it all the way? What would we do if we knew it face on? What would happen? You'd weep to be loved like this to be known and loved like this by God in heaven. It, it would move you. It would change you. Let's pursue that. All right, last point. What, back up. Love is willing self-giving for the good of another. God is love. In his triune self, the manifestation of his love is his giving of his son. All right, the last thing, the result. Well, it's pretty clear. Beloved, let us... What are we supposed to do? Love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. If you know the God who is love, if you know the love of the God who is love, what will happen to you? You will love. You will engage in, self, in willing, self-giving, for the good of someone else. And of course, the best good of someone else is that they would know the love of God in Christ. Isn't that true? That's what the Father thought the best good was, that you might have life. Look down again at verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, what's John looking back to? A cross for the undeserving. 
If God loved us like that, a cross for the undeserving, what should we do? We also ought to love one another. Verse 12. I love this verse. No one has ever seen God. It's true, isn't it? Anybody struggle with just God's far away? You can't like, go give him a hug, you know what I'm saying? No one's ever seen God. But if we love one another, what happens? God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. It, it fills up. It happens here. We, John is saying we taste God's love for us as we, what? As we love one another. It's it happens. It comes alive. It's perfected. It, it's real. It fills up. So as we look at the cross for the undeserving, God's love for us, we who've hated him, and his adopting us in Christ, his bringing us into his love, as we have the son's heart for the father, and we say, Abba, Father, as we have the father's heart for the son, and we say, Jesus, all glory to you, as we have the very spirit within us, as we have his love, we now say, okay, I've been loved like that. I know this God. He loves me. And now what? Now what? We have to love one another. We have to love one another. We get to love one another. We get to show the divine triune love in our little interactions together. And we can feel God's love. Isn't it true? Have you felt any, any, an, the love of another believer? Has somebody come through for you ever once, talk to you, love you, listen to you, reach out to you, and, and you know, oh, they, and you thought, God, God must love me. Somebody church love me. God must love me. That's what it's supposed to be like. That we could love one another. Willing self-giving for the good of others. Well, how is that love expressed? We could go on and on, couldn't you? In John, it's resources, right? We give our resources. Time. There's relational love too, isn't there? What do you say we quit, uh, we quit being personally offended by each other? What do you say? What do you say? Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't he done with being personally offended? He's not holding wrath against you anymore? What do you say we give each other grace? That doesn't mean we don't tell the truth. No, no. No, no. Because we want to be faithful to the Lord and his word. But we're going to forgive. That's love, isn't it? We could go on and on about how to live the love. I'm going to ask you to do this. In what way is God calling you to love somebody today, this week? Where is it? Somebody who bugs you, some way that's hard for you, something that's difficult, and you're looking at the cross, you're looking at God's love, you're feeling like he, he loves me, and there's some tug in you right now, and I got to do this to love somebody. I got to do this. What is it? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit tell you that one. Just keep it and act on it. Willing self-giving for the good of others. So, to finish up, may we know that God is love. May we know the love of the God who is love. And may we love like God has loved. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.